Today, I want you to take your copy of God's Word and open it up to that wonderful, phenomenal book that we find in the New Testament as we open God's Word. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Romans today. The book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is a beautiful book that was written by the great Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when you look at the book of Romans, you begin to quickly remind yourself as you open the book of Romans that it is a book of doctrine. That is, it gives us information on our beliefs. And when you open the book of Romans, you'll quickly discover that it is about the doctrine of salvation. It's about the doctrine of faith and how that the book of Romans gives us understanding of how that we are to be saved and how that we are to live our life. So the book of Romans is a masterpiece in your Bible. And I highly recommend that if you're going to study your Bible, that you would study the book of Romans to get doctrinally secure in the teaching of the Word of God. Now, the great Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to give us instruction about some very important things. So while you open your Bible to the book of Romans, I want you to be finding chapter 10 of that book, and we're going to look there together. Now, when you find that book and you find that chapter, I want you to look up here with me, and if you're ready, say amen. I want to ask you a question today, and I want you to ponder, and I want you to think about it. What is the greatest need of man today? What is the greatest need of humanity? When you think about that, there's a lot of people that would answer that question based off what they believe is the greatest need of humanity. When you think about that, if the greatest need of humanity today was education, then don't you think that Jesus would have arrived on this earth as an educator? That is, he would come on this world or in this world to enlighten our mind, to educate us about certain truths. And I believe that people would say today, if I were to ask them that question, what is the greatest need of humanity? People would say, well, you know what, Brother Jackie, I think it's education. But, but when we think about that, Jesus did not come as an educator. Then people would say, well, <clears throat> Brother Jackie, I believe the greatest need of humanity today is financial. That is, we need to get financially secure. Now, if that were true, Jesus would have showed up as an economist, or maybe he would be a banker in the world today. So we looked there together, and we asked ourselves the question again, what is the greatest need of man? Then people would say, well... Pastor, the greatest need of man is peace in the world today. Then, then we look at that and we would ask ourselves the question that if that were the greatest need, then obviously Jesus would have showed up as a diplomat and he would be the one that would go around and try to establish peace on the earth. But ladies and gentlemen, the question that we are asking is what is the greatest need of man? We realize that when we open the Bible that God himself answers that question. Jesus answers that question. Jesus answering that question concerning his own mission said, the son of man is come to do what? Seek and save that which was lost. So we realize then that the greatest need of man, the greatest need of humanity is the need of salvation. For we realize the Bible teaches us it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. After it's all over and everything is said and done and life has been fulfilled and you've drawn your last breath, it really will not matter how educated you are. It really will not matter how much money that 
you have in the bank. It really will not matter whether you had peace on the mountain or peace in the valley. But what will matter is do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Now, we're living in a world today to where people would say to me, now, Brother Jackie, don't you think that it's a little old-fashioned to talk about salvation? Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest thing that we ought to be talking about today is salvation and how to be born again. We're living in a lost world that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. I dare say today that looking across this vast audience and for those that are listening and watching, I dare say that there's people that are listening right now that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. In other words, you're not prepared to die. You're not prepared for eternity. So the question that we deal with today is a very important one as we look at the title of the message this morning and it is simply this salvation man's greatest need said but God's greatest gift salvation man's greatest need but God's greatest gift open your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 10 and let's journey together you'll find that the great apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit begins to enlighten us about the desire for people to be saved. And if you'll notice in chapter 10 of verse number one, Paul begins by saying, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel that they might be what? Saved, underlined in your Bible. So we realize then that very beginning in chapter 10 that Paul says, I've got a desire in my heart. My heart's desire I wonder today, have you lost your desire for lost people to be saved? I wonder today as I look across this audience, I wonder how many of you have a desire for your sons and your daughters and your husbands and your wives and your friends and your co-workers and those that you love. I wonder if you have a desire that they would be saved. I believe that across America today that we replace church with a lot of desires that are really not that important. I believe that today there ought to be a rebirthing of a desire of the heart of the congregation of the churches today that we would desire for people to come to know Christ as their Savior. And the Bible says, that Paul says, not only do I have a heart's desire, but I'm praying about that. In other words, I'm asking God the Father to save Israel. I wonder when was the last time that you prayed for someone that's lost? I wonder when was the last time that God burdened you with a deep burden to pray for a lost man or a lost woman, a person that doesn't know Christ as their Savior? We see the evidence in the writing of Paul as he began to pin down these words, I have a burning desire in my heart. I have a desire that has captured me, and that desire is that Israel would be saved. Oh, I know they're religious. I know that they do all the festivals. I, I know they do all the feasts. I know that they participate in the Passover and all of a sudden Israel is very religious but they're not born again. I wonder if that in and of itself speaks directly to you. Maybe you're one of those people that you've got a lot of religion. Maybe every now and then you open your Bible or every now and then you come to church or every now and then you may whisper a prayer but there's something deeply missing inside of your heart you know that there's a vacancy there Paul says I know that Israel is religious I know that they're God's people 
But Lord, I desire that they go beyond just a formality. I be, I'm praying, God, that they will be transformed. I'm praying, God, that the formality of the religious experience that they're having gets way beyond that. I pray, God, that you cause them to be saved. My prayer today as I begin to preach and think about what was I going to do as we closed out the, the, the sermon series on the power of red and I'm about to go into a, another series and I begin to pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to preach in the interim time? And God began to lay on my heart, I want you to preach about the lost condition of the church. Because ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we've lost something in the church. I believe that when we look around the world today that we see churches that are going to, through formalities and, and all of a sudden it becomes about them rather than about Jesus. And I believe that if we're going to see a great revival that's going to happen in our land, we need Jesus back in the church. Can I get an amen? When I think about that, I begin to look there and Paul writes in verse number two, if you'll journey there with me, for I bear them record that they have a what? Underline that, a what? zeal of God but according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them but the righteousness which is of what? Faith, underline in your Bible. You've got to get beyond your own perception of righteousness. It has to be a righteousness of faith. Speaketh not on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who shall descend up into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of what, church? Faith. You've got to get that. You've got to underline it in your Bible. It's a word of faith. Faith is that which is operative in your salvation, which we preach. That if thou will, read this verse with me, everybody. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Come on now and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. What's the promise, church? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, are you with me? Read it out loud. Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto them that call upon him. Read verse 13 with me with power, church. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that, church? If you believe that, let's give him praise today. He is good. Can I get an amen? I believe that we need to revisit that in our churches to understand salvation, man's greatest need, but God's greatest gift. When I begin to write this message down and God begin to speak to my heart about it, I want you to look at point number one in your outline, and that is this, the need of salvation. The need of salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, every man, woman, boy, and girl needs to be saved. They need to know Christ as their Savior. And when I think about that, the need of salvation, for in Romans chapter 10, verse number one through three, we find these words. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that Israel would be what? Saved. 
Notice the next verse. For I bear record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about trying to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, when we study our Bible, we're introduced in this very first passage that we look at, we're introduced to three primary things under the need of salvation. First of all, when we look at it together, we realize that they have an unwise zeal. They have an unwise zeal. Now, when we think about that, it's powerful that you'll notice in verse chapter 10 and verse number 2, Paul says, I, they have a zeal of God. Now, I want you to remember what I'm about to tell you. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. They're excited, but they're excited about the wrong things. They have a zeal. That is, there is a, there's an ignited passion, but it's an ignited passion about the wrong thing. Oh, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that's true today. Can I preach? Will y'all listen if I do? Will you give me an amen if I preach good? I want you to know that I believe that we're living in a world today to where there is an unwise zeal. I've been a pastor for 36 years, and when I look at this thing that's happening across the churches today, I believe that churches today are all excited about the wrong thing. I was with an older pastor this week. He's older than I am. And we were talking. He's been a pastor for many, many years, a very distinguished man. And he speaks with authority, but yet with humility. And he wanted to talk with me, and we were talking. And he looked at me, and he said, Brother Jackie. And I said, Yes, sir, because I reverently respect him. He said, We've got a problem. And I said, What is it? He said, and by the way, I reverently respect him, and I respected him even after this statement that he made. He said to me, Brother Jackie, we've got a problem. I said, what is it? He said, we're getting old. Even after he made that statement, I still respected him. And I thought, well, okay, we are getting old, and I respect that. And he said, you know, when I look around the churches today, Brother Jackie, I'm bothered. I'm bothered that we're looking around our churches today, and everybody is excited about all the wrong things. And he said, you know what? You have to almost come up with a new thing every Sunday to get everybody excited about church, to get everybody to show up. We can't even get members to come anymore. You have to beg your own congregation to show up and support your church. You, you've got to put on light, a light show and a fog show, and you've got to have a dancing bear on the stage. For people to be excited. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he said with a quivering voice, Brother Jackie, what's wrong with Jesus? Can I tell you, church? We've got a problem today in our churches that we are trying to get excited about everything but Jesus. Amen. Can I tell you, my friend? Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. I was studying the other day, and I looked, and, and there's this church. There's this church on the West Coast. That ought to give you a sign by itself. That what they decided to do to get people to come to church was they were going to do Beyonce worship. 
Uh, that is, we're going we're gonna to have a Beyonce worship service. Uh, we got to get people to come to church. We got to get a Beyonce service going on. And so they did. They got to be, they had a Beyonce worship service. And everybody came to church and they were singing Beyonce songs. Now, for you old heads, you don't know who Beyonce is. Keep it that way. You don't need to know who Beyonce is. But, 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 but they're going to have a worship service where singing songs about Jesus ain't good enough no more. We got to get people excited. We got to get them something better than Jesus. Let's have a Beyonce worship service. My soul, people showed up. Thousands of people came to church to worship Beyonce. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in trouble today. I was reading about uh, people saying that they were going to do, are, are y'all ready for this? Are you sitting down? For all the millennials, they were going to do a special service for the millennials. I love millennials, but they're weird. And, and I, I'm all right with that. But they was going to have a build your own bear service. So we get the millennials to show up. Y'all come on into church today. We're going to have you build your bear service. Y'all come on now, children. You got to come to church. So we're going to get you in here and let you build your bear. Take it home with your teddy bear. I've got a Greek word for that, hogwash. Can I tell you, my friend, if it takes you building a bear to get you to come to church, there's something wrong with that. Amen. I was looking the other day, passed by a church, got a big old display out in front of it, popcorn in a movie. Come to church, give you, a pop, give you some popcorn. Can't y'all see me out front? Have my little clown uniform on when you walk in the church? Get you some popcorn. Come on in here. Get you a drink and enjoy the service. We're going to show you a movie today. Can I just tell you something, my friend? Are you listening to me? We may not be popular around Eden West Side, and we may not always try to keep everybody excited, but there's one thing I'm going to say to y'all, and I'm going to say it with everything I got. As long as this bald-headed preacher's alive, and as long as I got a copy of this word, we're not going to give our popcorn and show you a movie to get you to come to church. Jesus is enough. Can I get an amen? I'm telling you, we turned our church into an entertainment center and it's time that we get Jesus back where Jesus ought to be. Jesus is enough. Can I get an amen? And by the way, since I'm preaching, I might as well just go on and make everybody mad. Somebody made me so mad this week, I could just spit nails. I'm telling you, they got me so mad, I almost got in the flesh. This is what they said. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get mad at him now. He's just trying to help you. Go and tell him that. Just trying to help you. They said to me, they said to me, if you're listening, I hope you get under conviction. They said, Brother Jack, what are we doing Sunday night at church? I said, we got a baptismal service. And they said, is that all? If that's all we're going to do, ain't no sense in me coming. Listen to me, look at me. Don't say that to Brother Jackie. Don't say that to Brother Jackie. You say anything you want to say, but I almost got in the flesh. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that people are dying and going to hell 
We give them an invitation on Sunday and God is reaching down into the soul and the heart of lost men and women and they're coming to know Jesus as their Savior and they're being born again and they're giving their life in your church. They're saying, I have now been changed from darkness to life. My address has been changed. I'm not any longer going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. And you have the audacity to tell me that the only thing we're going to do in churches baptize somebody do you know how many churches would give their eye teeth to fill up their baptistry and by the way since I'm preaching I might as well go on and finish if there's any time you ought to come it's when somebody's getting baptized tonight I might as well go and make everybody man tonight we got a baby dedication guess what we're dedicating babies that are physically young, but we're dedicating babies that are spiritually young. And you know what they need? They need their family supporting them. Amen. Don't you dare tell me, is that all we got to do? Because I'm going to tell you, if that's all I ever do, that's good enough. Seeing souls saved and lives changed is what this is all about. Can I tell you this, my friend? It ain't about you. It ain't about the style of music. It ain't about Beyonce. It ain't about popcorn. It ain't about movies. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's what we're going to do around here. We're going to preach Jesus until Jesus is known. We unwise zeal unwise zeal. Everybody excited about the wrong thing. I think it's high time in our churches we get excited about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. The one that went to the cross and died for you. The one that shed his precious blood for you. The one that carried the cross to Golgotha's hill for you. The one that took the penalty of your sin for you. The one that they spit on. The one that they beat. The one they put the crown of thorns on his head. He is enough and if he be lifted up, he will draw people to him. That's what the church has got to get excited about. Unwise zeal. We're living in a world today to where churches want to get excited about everything but the right thing. And by the way, can I tell you this? It don't matter how many songs you do or what kind of songs you do. You ain't going to satisfy everybody. People go, I like this song, don't like that song. I like this song, don't like that song. Can I just tell you something? Get your eyes off the song. Get your ears off the music. Put your eyes on Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit and your church will be transformed because that's what God does. Well, I might as well move on. Unwise zeal. Secondly, unwise knowledge. Unwise knowledge. When you look in your Bible in verse number 2b and 3, it says, I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness is going about to establish their own righteousness. Now that's an interesting Greek term. It's the word gnosis, which means a collaboration and a collection of information that you get in your mind. What he's saying is, they're getting knowledge. They got knowledge, but it's an unwise knowledge because what they're doing is they are collecting knowledge about religion and about spiritual things, but the knowledge, the gnosis that they are getting 
is not metabolized into epinosis, which means that there is a spiritual transformation that takes place of the knowledge that you get. The knowledge that comes in, the word tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you get knowledge, the gnosis in, and if you're not careful, if you stop it right there, then what you do is you get puffed up with pride and you get religion, but you don't have no power. So you can get a lot of knowledge about festivals and celebrations and all the things that religion has and be dead as a hammer in your churches. What God wants you to do is not just get knowledge, but let that knowledge metabolize itself by the Holy Spirit so that it becomes epi-knowledge so that your faith has works attached to it so that when people see your conversion, they see a real transformation in your life. In other words, you're not just walking around with a whole head full of stuff. You've got a heart full of Jesus. In other words, you got knowledge, but your knowledge is being transformed into how you are to live your life, how you are to live your Christian life. See, the world is tired of hearing sermons. They want to see some. They want to see some Christians living like Christians. They want to see some churches on fire for God. They want to see some churches packed with power from God. They want to see somebody that lives what they speak. They're tired of people saying, go to church, but when they see y'all, y'all live like they do the rest of the week. They're not interested in all this stuff. We can come to church from now till the cows come home, get religiously educated in our pew, sit on our pew like we're somebody when really we're nobody. We begin to get all this knowledge, but all we do is become puffed up with it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about your head. It's about your heart. It's not about what's just in the book, but it's about the book getting in you to transform your life so that you'll go out in the world and be a soldier for Jesus. But they were trying to live their life by their own righteousness. They had an unwise knowledge. Let me ask you something. Is what you know about God changing your life? Are you getting closer to God or further away? Are you getting all the knowledge, but it ain't impacting who you are? We got people today that have unwise knowledge. And then thirdly, not only is it unwise knowledge, but they were living unwise lives. Unwise lives. The Bible says in the latter part of that verse, they were, they were going about to establish their own righteousness, having not submitting themselves to the righteousness of Christ. You know what? That's amazing to me. What it means is they're trying to get, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to, get to God their own way. They, they, they want to do it their way. Uh, you know what? I learned this in my life. There, there's people today that speak one thing but yet do something else. Our churches are empty today, not filled up with power because you can't even beg church members to be faithful. People will join the church and they'll come to the church and they'll want to be a member of the church and then in two months the FBI can't find them. Can I tell you, my friend, there's something wrong with that. Because when God gets a hold of you, he changes your life. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. 
Walmart's full of folks up there right now while church is going on. Logan Martin Lake's filled up with people all over the lake. The, the beach is filled up with folks. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to the lake, nothing wrong with going to the beach, nothing wrong with going to Walmart. But I'm going to tell you, my friend, there is something wrong with it when you say you're a Christian but you never darken the house of God in your life. It's amazing to me when I walk up and talk to people in St. Clair County and I ask them this question. If you were to die, do you think you'd go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'd go to heaven. They don't ever attend church. They don't faithfully support the ministry. They don't ever give a dime to the offering, but they think they're going to go to heaven. It's amazing to me that when you look in St. Clair County and you talk to everybody in St. Clair County, everybody in St. Clair County is going to heaven, but yet our churches are dying. Can I tell you this, my friend? They're living unwise lives because it's not your righteousness at all. It's all about God's righteousness. And when God's righteousness gets a hold of you, he'll change you. You're not who you used to be. Can I get an amen? You see, when you get Jesus in you, there's a spiritual transformation that takes place that causes you to have a spiritual craving. And that spiritual craving is that you get more and more of Jesus. Not less and less of him, but more and more of him. So we see that Paul is saying about religious people. They have an unwise zeal. They have an unwise knowledge. And they're living unwise lives. So when we think about that, obviously the late Dr. Billy Graham made a statement years ago. And this is what Dr. Graham said. He said that the most open harvest field in America is sitting in the pews on Sunday morning. What he's saying is this. Two-thirds of the people in the church don't know Jesus as their Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the late Dr. Graham. I believe that his accumulation and, and, and his statement is an accurate one. We need a revival in our churches. We need God to shake us to the core. We need transformation to happen among God's people. We need really a true, real salvation that takes place in the heart of the men and women of God. Now, secondly, I want you to notice this in your outline, and it goes like this. There is a provision for salvation. If you open your Bible to the book of Romans, you'll notice there that Paul makes it very plain that the provision for salvation has already been provided. He'll notice in verse number four, he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. In other words, we don't have righteousness, only Jesus does. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now, what he means by that is that if you're going to try to get to heaven by your own righteousness, you've got to keep all the law. So let's put it to the test today. How many of you ever in your life, now remember you're in church, how many of you ever in your life ever told a little lie? Could I see your hand? The rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you're liars and going to hell. The fact of the matter is, all of us have told a lie every now and then. How many of you have ever stole a little something? Could you raise your hand in church? I stole something when I was a little boy. I went into the grocery store when my mama's shopping. Walked down the aisle of the grocery store in the produce section, stealing grapes off in the produce section, putting them in my mouth as I was a little boy, walking down the aisle of the produce section of Jimmy Moore Grocery in Leeds. 
putting grapes in my mouth. My mama saw me, looked over at me and said, boy, you got grapes in your mouth? No more. She said, son, you're stealing and you're lying. Now you go tell that man who owns this grocery store you stole his grapes. Changed my life forever. Can I tell you we're all guilty. We're guilty of doing things that the law says that we're condemned. How many of you have ever committed adultery? Don't raise your hand. God knows don't do it. Step out on your wife or your husband. You'd say, now, Brother Jackie, I've never done that. I've never stepped out on my husband or wife. Well, Jesus said that if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. How about, have you ever coveted anything? Have you ever created an idol that you worship? Yeah, we've all been guilty. So what that means is this. We're all unrighteous before God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But the word of God goes on and says, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks, not on, speaks on this wise, saying, not in thine heart. Who shall ascend to heaven? Or that is bring Christ down. He's already done that. Who's going to descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. He's already done that. But what saith thou? The word of faith is nigh in your mouth, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, God doesn't have to do anything else to get you right with God. He's already sent his son Jesus to this earth. And because he's done that, he's fulfilled the letter of the law. And he has already resurrected him back to heaven. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father even now. The Bible tells us that God has made provision for us. And because of that, we got to realize that not only is there a provision for salvation, but there is a call of salvation. God sends out a call. A call to salvation. And I want you to know about it. First of all, the call of salvation is a personal call. A personal call. God knows how to call you by name. God knows how to find you in an auditorium like this. God knows how to find you as you're listening online. And God knows how to find you as you're at another campus. And he calls you personally to come to him. Personal call to salvation. And I want you to notice in chapter 10, verse number 9 and 10. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. You can't get to heaven based off what your grandmother confessed. You can't get to heaven based off what your mama confessed or your daddy confessed or your denomination confesses. The Bible says if you will do it, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When God begins to deal with your heart, you have a personal responsibility to answer that call of salvation, to say yes to Jesus, to come to him and give him your life. But not only is it a personal call, it's a universal call. The call is for everyone. It doesn't matter whether they're from Germany or Russia or China or America, whether you're black or white, it doesn't matter about all that. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 
And the same Jesus that died for America died for Russia and China and all over the world. And that call goes out universally. The Bible says in verse number 11, it says, the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto them that call upon him. Read this verse with me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That call is a universal call and it's a call that goes out. And oh my soul, I believe that we ought to call to everybody, come to Jesus. I remember back in the day when the revival fires were burning in America. And I'm telling you those same revival fires that burned in American history can burn today. The same God that saved lives in revivals and a movement of God across America. He can still do that today. I remember the great crusades of Dr. Graham when he would go out into the world and call people, come to Jesus, and thousands would come. Thousands would come. Ladies and gentlemen, we need that kind of move of God again. But we're living in a world today to where people go, now wait a minute, Brother Jenkins. You're going to embarrass somebody if you call them publicly. Don't you know that's going to make people uneasy? The Bible says that whoever calls on him will not be ashamed of him. I was doing a painkiller conference last week. To God be the glory. God moved. I was invited to the First United Methodist Church to do a painkiller conference. Are you listening? First United Methodist Church. I was at a First United Methodist Church. I'm a Baptist preacher. And the pastor of that church had only been there a week. A week. And when I drove up to the church, the, one of the leaders of the church met me. And they said, Brother Jackie, are you going to give an invitation? And I said, yes, every time I speak. And he looked at me and he said, sir, thank you. You know what? We need to give invitations every time we speak. We're living in a world today to where people go, no, you don't need to do that. Can I tell you something, my friend? God says if you believe on him, you won't be ashamed. I believe there's something special about giving an invitation. I believe that there's a war that happens when God begins to deal with you. The devil's saying no, God's saying yes. And I believe that there's something special about that battle that you face when the word of God is being preached and God's spirit is dealing with your heart and that battle is raging and you're sitting in your pew and you're standing there and God is saying, go to come to me and the devil's going, no. And the devil will say things like this. You're never going to be good enough. And you know what? He's exactly right. You're never going to be good enough. And the devil will say, you'll never live the Christian life. And you know what? He's exactly right. You can't live the Christian life. And the devil will say, you're never going to be perfect. And he's exactly right. You're never going to be perfect. That's why Jesus came. And when you're called to the altar to say yes to Christ, there's a moment where all of a sudden there's this crisis going on. And I want you to listen to me. When God calls you 
and salvation is screaming your name and you're in that battle and you're in that struggle and your guts are knotted up and your heart's beating. And I'm telling you, my friend, when you take your first step of faith toward Jesus, he'll bring you the rest of the way. But you've got to take the first step. And there's something about taking that step publicly. I believe that God wants us to take that step publicly. I believe he wants us to do that because we need to swallow our pride. We need to humble ourselves before God. And I believe that when you think about that, that's what Paul is saying here, is this universal call goes out. And you've got to be willing, whether you're in the balcony or on the floor, you've got to be willing to accept that call personally. And God calls you. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I get an amen? Now let me tell you quickly the requirements of salvation. What is the requirements? I'm going to give you four quickly. First of all, Romans 10, 3, you've got to submit yourself to God. You've got to be willing to say yes to him and submit your life to him. And, and there's something special about that. The Bible says that people are going about trying to establish their own righteousness. And, and he says, they have not submitted themselves unto God. You've got to be willing to submit yourself. You've got to be willing to say, God, I want to come to you. I want to give you my life. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to take my life, and I'm going to surrender my life to you, and I'm going to submit myself to you. You've got to be willing to do that. Secondly, you've got to have a confession. You've got to confess. This is very special for you. You've got to be willing, the Bible says, to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you have to say, Lord Jesus, I know that you're God's son. And I know that you came from heaven to this earth. And Father, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you was buried on the third day you rose again. And I want to confess you as the only Savior. I confess you as Lord and Savior. You did for me what I could not do for myself. And I confess you today. I open my mouth and I say to Jesus, Jesus, you are God's son. You died for me on the cross and you're alive again. You make that confession. And when you make that confession, there's another thing that happens. And that is you go from confession to transformation. Did you know that God can change your life instantly? God can change your life like that. In a moment, in an instant, when you confess Christ as your Savior, God gives you a new life. And he takes away your sins, and he washes your sins white with his own blood. And you've got a whole new life. You've got a brand new start. You can start today having a new life. You can submit yourself to God today. You can confess Christ as your Savior. And you can be transformed today. Your life can be changed in a moment. And then fourthly, you've got to have a proclamation. You've got to make that proclamation, that proclamation of faith. In Romans 10, 11, 
He says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I'm going to make the proclamation today that you are my Savior. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be timid today. I'm going to say yes to you and no to the devil. I'm going to step out today and give Christ my life. And I'm going to make that proclamation publicly and boldly today. And I want you to know that when you do that, there will be a guarantee that the devil himself cannot take away from you. And that guarantee is the guarantee of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Can I get an amen? amen. If you call upon the Lord today, God guarantees you this. If you will call upon Christ, he will save you. You say, well, now, Brother Jackie, I'm just not good enough. Yes, you are. Brother Jack, I've done too many bad things. Well, you're the one Jesus came for. Brother Jack, I don't think I can do it. You're exactly right. Christ will do it for you. He'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself, and there will be a guarantee that if you'll come to Christ, he'll save you, change your life. Some of you here today, you've been in church all your life. Some of you here today have listened to sermon after sermon after sermon. You've been going through the motions but you truly are not born again. Some of you today need to break the shackles of sin on your life and you need to come to Christ. Some of you today need to step out from where you are and say, Lord, I want to come to you today. I have a great need, God, and you have a great gift. The bottom line is this. Your greatest need can be met today. Your greatest need in life can be met today by receiving God's greatest gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, doesn't matter who they are, if they will just believe in Christ, they will not perish, but they'll have what? Everlasting life. In the first service, we gave the invitation, and two people gave their heart to Christ in the first service. We've already had transformation happen. But I'm telling you, my friend, if God did it in the first service, he can do it in the second service. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads all over this building. Every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never invited him into your heart, or you're not sure that you've done that. And you would like to invite Jesus in your heart today. You'd like to have a new life. You'd like to receive that salvation that God offers today. I'm going to ask you to do something boldly today. If you'd like to make that decision, I'm going to ask you to stand right now if you're in this auditorium or at the river campus. Would you stand to your feet? Just stand where you are. Lord, I want to give you my life today. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody? God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? I want to give Jesus my life. You just keep standing for a moment. God bless you, son. I see you. Anybody else? This is your moment. God bless you, man. 
I'm going to ask some ministers to come down front. Y'all keep standing. Some ministers are going to come down front. The Bible says if you want Christ in your heart, you won't be ashamed of it. Right now I'm going to ask you if you're standing, if you'd be willing right where you are to come to this altar and say to these men, I want to give Jesus my heart. We'll wait on you. Come on down. Come on forward. Many are coming. Dr. Billy Graham used to say, would you come? If you're in the balcony, we'll wait on you. If you came by bus, they'll wait for you. I want you to know we're going to take time for you today. If you're here and you'd like to join the church, you'd like to be a part of this church, you want to move your membership, you want to come into this fellowship, would you stand? Just come on and stand. Brother Jack, I want to be a part of Eden Westside today. You stand. If you'd like to come and be a part of this fellowship, you come down and let these men know, I want to, I want to be a part of this church. Or maybe you're here and you want to, you've, you've drifted from God and you want to reignite, you want to redirect your life or rededicate yourself. You stand and you come. This is your moment, your time. Would you come? People are coming. We're going to wait on you. We're going to wait on you. God bless you, young lady. We're going to wait on you. God bless you. God bless you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to take care of you. Just hang with me for just a moment. Misty, will you take care of this girl? Now all over this auditorium, would you stand with us as we begin to sing this old song? I want you to come to Christ. I want you to give Christ your life. The greatest thing that could happen today is Christ changing your life. Don't ever forget that. I want you to sing this with your heart today, with all of your heart. Would you join with us as we sing? 